Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello everybody and welcome back to another Motorsport Magazine podcast. It's the 1st of October in a wet and horrible grey London, but we're going to cheer you up because uh, we start the month with a very special guest. He's called Tiff Needell. And the older listeners among you will remember that he drove in Formula One. He did. He also has a book out, which uh, is good fun. The younger ones listening will, will know Tiff as a television presenter. And he looks like one today. He looks like he's been in the Caribbean for about two months. Um, anyway, we'll be talking to him in just a moment. But uh, with me, as usual, is uh, Nigel Roebuck, our editor-in-chief, Ed Foster, our columnist and web editor, and of course, the man himself, uh, our editor, Damien Smith. He was about to go to Japan, lucky Damien. Anyway, he's with us today and that's what matters. Let me tell you, first of all, about uh, our latest subscription offer. It's all about saving money, of course, and you can save money on every edition of Motorsport when you subscribe. And this is the deal. You save 25% on the cover price when you subscribe for 24 magazines. You get a free luxury leather key ring worth £15, and you get priority booking and discounts for all motorsport events, film evenings, and expert talks. It's a good deal. And just go to motorsportmagazine.com and you'll find all the details. Okay, I'll remind you at the end. Anyway, now th this is good, so listen up. Jackie Stewart Reader's Evening. Why don't you join us for a very special night out with Jackie Stewart at the Landmark Hotel in Marylebone, that's in London, by the way, on Wednesday, December the 5th. Jackie Stewart with us, December the 5th, OK? We're putting together an exclusive evening for you, the motorsport reader, with the three times Formula One world champion. It'll include a drinks reception, it's always good, a three-course dinner, and then an, uh, a question and answer session with Jackie Stewart, Nigel Roebuck and Damien Smith. So that's worth the price of the ticket on its own, I'd say. 
We'll be uh, announcing more exciting news for the 2013 Motorsport Hall of Fame on that very evening. Don't forget the Hall of Fame, beginning of next year. The tickets for this cost £120 for subscribers and £130 for non-subscribers. There's another reason to subscribe. Uh, To book your place for the Jackie Stewart evening, just go to our website, motorsportmagazine.com, or call uh, 0044, that's for England, obviously, 0207-349-8472. from outside England, or just 0207-349-8472. I really hope we'll see lots of you there, because it's not often you can have your own evening with Jackie Stewart. Anyway, on we go. A lot happening, a lot happening, especially in Grand Prix racing at the moment. Everyone's talking about, um, what is it now? Perez has gone to McLaren, Hamilton's gone to Mercedes. No one knows where the hell Schumacher's going, do they? Yet? No? No, not yet. That's right. Um, now, Tiff, let's start with you, because you've uh, come Jake's on. gone to BT, don't and forget. Jake Humphrey's <laughs> yeah. gone to BT. <laughs> I know, yes. <laughs> yes. Let's transfer the charges, shall we? No, uh, Jake Humphrey, who presents the BBC Formula One programmes, has moved, will move over to BT Vision to present Premiership football. OK, let's got that out of the way. Um, Wow, Formula One's different from when you had a flirtation with it. I mean, you weren't worried about how many millions, you were worried about qualifying. <laughs> I know, it's absolutely frightening. You know, I remember sort of rushing back from trying to get a Formula Two driver at Nürburgring in my old rusty Ford Capri, you know, to get there to try and get the inside drive. And uh, now it's your management team. It's not just a manager anymore, it's your management team. <laughs> Talk to my management team. And it, it's, oh, it's very difficult as a young driver now, unless you've got millions behind you to get anywhere. You know, you're buying test drives now to go up and down a runway for a year you know if you're lucky so it's very strange I wouldn't like to be there now I don't think no it's very different I mean Nigel there's an awful lot of talk about money isn't there I guess it's always sort of been the way but nowadays it seems to be more money seems to be more the focus than almost anything else well yeah it is because you know there isn't much around relatively that's that's the thing where I mean let me tell I mean, all the years I've been involved with it, I, I've never, I can't remember, there was a time when Formula One was much, much more low-key than it is now. But since it's been, you know, enormous in terms of sponsorship and TV coverage and everything else, there's never really been a time as acute as uh, the one we're in now in terms of people looking for money. But actually, I mean, you know the teams, you're, you speak to the teams themselves, aren't they frustrated? Wouldn't they prefer to have their own budget and just pick? Are they getting lazy? Are they sort of sitting back? I mean, we see these expensive motors, we see the money they spend on marketing and promotions, and then they sort of want three or four million to choose a driver out of what, hundreds of millions. Are they not worried about this? Well, it's it's... I, I mean, it's a, you know, it's in a, it's in a very strange state these days. I mean, it was, um, I mean, I don't know how many years ago it was Nicky, you know, talking about what he was paid and saying, you know, one one million for driving and five million for PR or whatever, signing autographs in department stores. And you know, I, I, as Whitmarsh showed me in the, of a current McLaren contract, it is it is there are three actually three contracts. The, the last one of which join, literally sort of joins the first two. The first two, one is driving and one is, one is PR, mm. public. And, but, but surely and, and, uh, as far as I understand it, the, the, the payment is literally 50-50. But they're not taking Perry's 
for money. McLaren they're surely not, no, are picking no, drivers they're not on talent. Perez for money, but on the other hand, you know, no one knows how long Vodafone are going to be around, and Perez does come with Carlos Slim, which is always, you know, to have the world's richest man backing you. It's you know, actually I think doesn't go against you. But no money will go to McLaren for this Perez deal. No, we don't, don't get no, the sponsorship no, not, not at this point. No. Off the back of it, yeah, perhaps, that's, that's the say. point. I mean, if one day Telmex or something replaces Vodafone, then you know it'll it'll all make. It sense. would be sad, actually, wouldn't it, if we spent the podcast talking about money as well? So, well, so, 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 so maybe, so maybe let, let's. Um, I mean, Damien, give us your view on uh, have they done the right thing? Perez at McLaren, Hamilton at Mercedes. Do you, do you think that all makes sense? Uh, I don't know. I think it does make sense, actually. The more I think about it, from, from Hamilton's point of view, um, as a long-term prospect, um, joining Mercedes has to be a good thing. And you know, the key thing everyone's talking about, not only how much Simon Fuller and his company are going to make out of new deals, it's, it's about 2014, new turbo rules. Mercedes um, are likely to be in a very good position come that season. We know how good Ross Braun is when, when rules change. 2009 Braun GP, for example. So um, I think as a sporting prospect, I think Lewis is probably going to be in a very good place. He would have been in a very good place at McLaren as well. So I think it was. A, I, I think he found it very difficult to make this decision. That's why it's gone on as long as it has. I don't think it's something he's done lightly. Um, but um, there was a really good David Coulthard column in the Daily Telegraph the other day, and he was talking about how at some point we all have to grow up and move away and do our own thing. And to an extent, Hamilton hasn't grown up. We've seen that countless times. He, he still acts like a teenager in his mid-twenties. Maybe this, is, this will be the making of him moving to another team in a, a different uh, set of circumstances. Yeah, I, think, I think it's great he's moved. I think he, he, did, he was capped. You know, trapped in that sort of McLaren area, and I think it, it is going to be a breath of fresh air for him to be out in another team. And I think really we, we almost want more round. But the old days, seventies and eighties, people used to get bored with the team after two years and just go somewhere else to try another chassis, didn't they? I think maybe we need a maximum time limit. You can only stay with one team for five years max or something. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, it worked okay for Jim Clark, didn't it? That's true, my hero. <laughs> Um, Ed Foster, let's bring you in, uh, so we have a proper round table discussion, and also you represent uh, uh, rather younger people, it has to be said. Um, would you have done what, what uh, McLaren and Mercedes have done from what you've seen of the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I think the thing with McLaren is they're always up there, and Whitmarsh made a big point of saying all that after the announcement, and I think that's really true, and whether you know, Mercedes hasn't really excelled, in, in his time in, in Formula 1 in recent years. It certainly years. has not. But then again, as Damien says, the new rules are looking much better. I think, personally, I think that the people that come off worst here are McLaren. Because Hamilton is, in my view, the fastest driver in Formula 1. And Perez may be brilliant, but is he ready to win a world championship next year? Probably not. And Button's great in a race, but his qualifying is nowhere near as good as Hamilton's. So I think they've, they've lost out, personally. But... That's just my opinion. I agree. I think McLaren have been the losers in this. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree too. I oh, agree too. Well. The only thing I would say, I think, I think there are aspects of Lewis that, people, that certain people at McLaren absolutely will not miss. Um, I mean, Lewis, Lewis comes with a lot of baggage. That's the point. And I think if you look at 2011, um, I mean, there's been all this money, 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 money. I mean, if I'd been Martin Whitmarsh at the end of 2011, I would probably ask for some money back from Lewis. Actually, talking about baggage, I think for safety, we only change rules, can't we, if it's safety. 
And I think when bling in garages is, is, is dangerous. They need to be in fireproof suits. And really, I think all supporters should be in motorhomes drinking wine and watching it on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> it's too, with, the, with, the, with the fire in the Williams, you know, the, we can now say garages are dangerous areas and we shouldn't have hangers-on in there. Let's ask you at this stage, because, um, uh, uh, you know, believe it or not, Tiff, a lot of people uh, listening in right now will be, will be enjoying hearing from you, because, let's be honest, you've been around a long time, OK? It's not just Ed, I can represent my sons, they're 20 years. <laughs> I am representing my sons, therefore I'm representing the younger generation as yeah, well. OK, fine, but w- uh, tell us a bit about the struggle that you had to even get into Formula One, which, let's face it, you did it, which is more than a lot of people have done, isn't it? Um, do you regret any of, any of the, you know, a lost opportunity here and there or not? Or was it everything it was cracked up to be when you finally... Uh, no, but you always know things you could have done in, in, in the looking back, which would have changed things. I, I should have phoned up Robin Hurd after I'd been starring in a march, whereas I thought Tolman's were going to take me, so I sat up back and didn't get my name around enough. But I think the great thing about management and management teams now is they do speak to all the teams every week. You know, yeah. Even if your driver's signed up for two years, you still keep in touch. Whereas when we were on our own with no managers, you know, I used to phone up team managers occasionally and say, here I am. But you didn't do it often enough, and if you weren't hanging around the Formula One, we used journalists. I mean, journalists were our biggest ally when we didn't have managers. So we were much, very much relied. I had Chris Whitty and uh, Ian Phillips, yeah, who yeah. mates were the autosports, and, and they put my name forward to team managers. There was one wonderful case where I was in Formula Four 2000 at Brandsack, the race at Champions, and Chris Whitty had got uh, Frank Williams to look at. Hey, watch this Tiffany Dell. So I drove the race of my life, won by about 30 seconds. It was all damp, but I had a fantastic drive, Brands Grand Prix circuit. And when Chris said, you know, did you see that, Frank? He said, oh, some bloke pissed off into the distance. I got bored and went back to the van. <laughs> and there was me every lap coming down past the paddock, you know, behind it. Thinking, Frank's watching me. He was back in his motorhome. <laughs> it is that communication, a contact that was so hard. We just had to be brave, pick up the phone and, and dial the, the team manager's number. Also, but when you got there, you had so little time to prove that you were uh, capable of doing it. That's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, you've got, okay, well, first of all, qualifying, you know, you've got to get through that. And if you don't, you know, but people make quick decisions, don't they? Well, if you can't qualify, I mean, you know, forget it. Well, we just used to jump into the cars as well. You know, when Bildo, great hero, he just jumped into cars. You had, you didn't have time. All these kids now that said, I've only had 10,000 miles testing, you know. <laughs> how could I prove myself? I'd had half a day at Donington, and then now I'm at Zolder, where I've never been around before, you know. And, uh, you know, it's just so hard. I mean, the, the worst thing with me when I got my little chance was the, the fact that I knew the team were waiting for Jan Lemmers. And uh, so all the time, I saw little conversations going on in the back of the paddock. So it was, it was, it was a pretty awkward time driving a car that was, you know, the back of the grid car anyway. But it was just brilliant that I got the one Grand Prix. It made such a difference to my own personal sort sure. of feeling, just because, sure. you know, I got to be one of the 24 sure, sure, on sure. talent alone. But it's, it's, it was a great time, but it, it was a, a strange... <laughs> Actually, the worst story about hanging around trying to get trials. I used to go to Daytona when the Formula One thing. I went to Daytona 24 hours to try and pick up an IMSA drive. So you used to travel... St- Stayed in James Weaver's room, my mate, you know, was racing. I remember looking for Tullius, the Jaguar team manager. And I still remember to this day the toilets in America. This is 1981, 82, around that time. The, the gentlemen's sit-downs 
didn't have doors. And I walked, I've been trying, you sort of used to stand on the edge of the paddock by a motor, waiting for a team manager to walk by, so you could just, oh, hello, and I'd bump into, and, I, and there was Tully sitting on the toilet. And I all, I very nearly went up and asked him to talk to him. Well, he wasn't going to go anywhere, was he? <laughs> yeah. But you see, maybe, you know, maybe Perry McCarthy and would have still gone yeah. straight in and started yeah. chatting. Maybe that was my opportunity that I didn't talk to Tullius about driving for Group 44. When you, when you, um, w- w- it, there must have been a point where you realised, hey, look, you know, I'm not going to win the Formula One World Championship, uh, but I do want to drive racing cars. That was a sort of change of gear for you in a way, um, because ever since you've actually made a living out of it, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, did you feel more comfortable in a way once that decision had been made? Okay, I'm going to go sports car racing, touring car racing, whatever it is, that's what I'm doing. I'm good at that. I can win. I can. Well, you're never really comfortable because you're always looking at the better team that you wish you were in. That's always <laughs> worse about racing driver because you always think, oh, I could do better if I was in that car. Right. Well, look at, you know, we've got to, right now Hamilton doing exactly that. What is McLaren thinking of Mercedes in two years' time? So you never fully relax, even when you're enjoying it and getting paid money. Japan was fantastic. That's where I sort yeah. of made my professional breakthrough. Because right. there we had this little clique of gaijin yeah. racing drivers. We all partied together and you know, yeah. stayed in the same hotel. So that was very relaxing motorsport. Because we, you know, But even then we were looking at the next season, looking at who had the yeah. money and looking for what team you might be able to swap over to. So you never quite relaxed. When did you... Sorry, Damien. I was just going to say, well, what about this thing about how long you go on for as well? Because someone like you, you've raced, you know, Almost all, all your adult life, you're still racing now. Um, Never retire. Well, it, you need the millions. I think it's a bit easier to retire if you've got the uh, <laughs> yeah. Isle of Man to live on, or the you know but the Channel you? Islands as your home. So but when you still need the money, you, you still race. And I suppose also the fact the fact that I didn't really achieve as much as I'd love to have done in motorsport. That I still want to prove myself as a driver. Even now, when I go to Goodwood, I still want to, you know, want to put on a good show, I want to put on a good mm. performance. And so that still drives me on. I think if I'd had 10 world championships, you know. But, you know, I look at Brian Redmond's my heroes, David Hobbs, Derek Bell. They just lived this fantastic life. Mm. You know, I wish I'd been in their era. I'm jealous yeah. of them. I'm more jealous of them than yeah. I am of, uh, you know, Damon Hill or, or any of the modern drivers, sure, Coulthard, yeah. Brundle. Yeah, yeah. Hobbs, Redmond and Bell yeah. just drove Formula 5000s, Targa, Florios, Nürburgring. I mean, it was dangerous, but they just drove some fantastic and had a great life. You know, they mm. just had a laugh. Yeah. They were earning fortunes, but they had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's so true, actually, isn't it? When did you just... Dis- uh, we'll come back to Formula 1 in a moment for those of you who would like to, us to go more down that road. But w- when was it you discovered, hey, I think I'm... You know, could be quite a good broadcaster as well, actually, and that would be a nice string to my bow because, you know, there's Top Gear, Fifth Gear, there's this, that, and when did that did that just occur to you over time? No, my life has always been just stumbling by good fortune <laughs> from winning a magazine competition to you know yeah. getting the Unipart. I'm a Unipart driving Formula Three and turning professional. Then the Jurex scholarship, little yeah. things just kept on happening, and I only did the Formula the commentary I started first because I was just hanging around trying to get drives at race meetings when I was hauled in by the BBC to. Mm work alongside Marius, my voice got on television. I never thought of television, I was just, everything I was doing was really to enhance my driver's career. And then when they phoned up, because you know, Chris Goffey broke his leg, so they want me to drive the Formula First racing car. So I thought, well, I'll do that. Didn't think anything of it as a career. It was just a day's work to get my name on the telly. So when that worked so well, it all just, you know, I could invite it back to more and more television. But even then I was still thinking of how it would help my racing career, not as a second career. 
Yeah, they never give up, these guys. <laughs> uh, let's come back. I was back just now. thinking about the Durex scholarship. Yeah, I'd quite know. forgotten that. <laughs> it, it, it was a motor racing scholarship. I know, I know. <laughs> well, actually, the, the best break in my career was with Chris Hype Baker's. My Formula 4 career was dying because I had the wrong chassis because I was borrowed a free chassis, totally out of money, finishing fifth and sixth and not getting anywhere. And I knew I had to have this decent chassis finding Chris Hype Baker, this wild child who was, who was uh, one of the original bungee jumping scrub with a dangerous sports club, jumped oh, off the yes. cliff. Yes. And he suddenly disappeared, bought the best chassis there was, this crusty 25F, but he'd never turned up that year. And uh, anyway, I saw it advertised in the middle of the summer and phoned him up and said, hey, Chris, you know, can I buy your car but not pay you for it till I've sold it? He said, yeah, far out, man, yeah, come and pick it up. And if he hadn't, if he hadn't have lent me that chassis, you know, I'd still be a civil engineer. Yeah. I mean, every time there's this good fortune, but that was probably one that was such a crunch time. And because, and I'd find that he, he was he was hang gliding. He'd given up Formula Ford racing because he discovered. I think he was smoking some funny smelling cigarettes at the time. And he, he found hang gliding was more his style, man. But that's that's some pressure, isn't it? When you're driving a car that you you've basically borrowed and said you'll pay for <laughs> when you I sell, sell it, it. Yeah. so you can't crash. I mean, well, how do you commit? To you know, um, to a race when you when you got that in the back of your mind. Well, again, that's the interesting thing about kids. Another whole different driving style. We, we move around to circuits and ruining Spa and come. Mm. That's another whole story. But you know, when we drove, it was such a fine line between being fast and being crashed. And having run my own Formula Ford for four and a half years on my own money, you know, I had to drive at like ninety eight percent. You know, Rupert Keegan was the first rich, wild kid. Mm. And he just went faster and crashed, went faster and crashed. Because <laughs> he could afford it. Nowadays, the kids go faster, end up across the grass creek in a car park and realise they have to go a bit slower. But I couldn't afford to cross that line. It's a very good So good all point. the time, I was driving at 99% of my limit because I had to finish because I couldn't afford to hit anything. But that Crosley, I mean, again, getting the right chassis is important. Another awful thing about motorsport. Because one little statistic, I'd done 41 races at the Brands Hatch Club Circuit and never won. And then I got this Crosley, and I won 13 of the next 14 races on the trot. So you do have to have the right kit. Never Even in Formula 4. Never get up, no. Actually, I think that brings us to something that's going on in Formula 1 right now, and which we were going to mention today anyway, which is the some of the wild driving. I mean, obviously, Grosjean and Maldonado come immediately to mind. And, um, you know, is it your, slightly your feeling that that is partly caused by the fact that, that they have not had to drive, you know, on the verge of a crash because they've so far to go? Well, very much so, yeah. They, you know, they find the limit now by exceeding the limit. When they exceed the limit, and there's no penalty for exceeding the limit. I do think the vis visibility, I think, you know, the head restraints now, they've got no peripheral vision. And I'm sure Grosjean thought the gap was there. When you see it on board, when he was going for the gap, and, the, and the, the rate at which he was going past Hamilton, I would have believed the gap would have, still, would have been there. And I think he didn't appreciate how Hamilton suddenly got going and then was accelerating at the same speed as him. But by now, of course, he's lost that peripheral vision. He's not in the mirror because he's not That's far enough ahead. Yeah. So, you know, that peripheral visions... If we talk about a head restraint, which would be horrible in a Formula 1 car, but... Almost if only those side hoops could have holes in them, you know, like, like the rear pillars of coupes have a little window. Mm -hmm, we almost mm -hmm. need a peripheral vision to come back by having a see-through panel beside the helmet. Well, actually, Nigel was writing in his column this very month about, you know, when are we going to have proper mirrors? And, and, and uh, weren't you? Well, that, that, I've got that, that, right. that just seems to me to be absolutely absurd. We, you know, we, we live in an era literally preoccupied with safety. Um, and yet for years and years and years, 
countless drivers have said to me that you can't see a thing out of the mirrors. Aren't they quite good at the moment, though, or not? No, not really. I mean, there's there's not even Grosjean brought that up again, you know, after the, after the spa accident. And you think, well, that is a fairly fundamental thing and a simple thing to put right, so why the hell don't they? You know? but, they're, but they're not only small, they're also so flimsy yeah. that they shake so much yeah. that actually when you look from a driver's perspective at any speed whatsoever, it's just yeah. a blur. It's distorted. No, that's true. Perhaps, perhaps they need to go on a driver awareness course, which I'm doing this coming Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I'll let you know. Let's, let's move on um, to, to, to one of Nigel's absolute favourite subjects, and that is Fernando Alonso. Um, because Nigel believes that he is by far the best driver in Formula 1. Which He's is by far the most complete. Fine, that's fine. Yeah. Um, who's going to beat him? Can anyone beat him? What do you reckon, Damien? I think Sebastian Vettel can beat him. Yeah, I don't, it's not over by any means. It's you know six races to go, and with the points structure the way it is, if Alonso has a another non-finish, um, then it could all it could all change. So, um, you know, historically the last couple of years, Vettel and Red Bull finish the season strongly. Um, we've got through Spa and Monza, which were two difficult circuits for Red Bull. Um, okay, Vettel fell into the Singapore win because of Hamilton's misfortune, but you know he was competitive. So I think, and and the Ferrari isn't very competitive particularly you know no. um, so there's a there's a lot still to happen i think vettel's my man i predict at the beginning of the season i'm standing by my man as well and we put those two alternative failures back on the scoreboard and he's probably almost leading the championship he's very unlucky with those two failures whereas alonso's only had the one suicide <laughs> attack from grosjean, <laughs> from grosjean yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah yeah i think vettel i think suzuka suits the red bull but then hamilton's going to be quick isn't he yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with Damien. I mean, I, you know, I know Alonso's got a bigish lead at the moment, but I mean, you know, if you if you if your car is literally not able to compete, which you know, on the strength of Singapore, um, you know, Alonso won that race two years ago. This time, and Ferrari have never been good at Suzuka, have they? Historically, no, yeah. not 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 particularly. No, no, no. Not like not like not, McLaren. No, no, no. So I mean, you know, if 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 Red Bull are getting sort of even vaguely somewhere near close to where they were last year, then you know, I, I think you know, Damien's probably right. You, you can see Vettel women winning it uh, in in equal cars. I wouldn't I wouldn't take Vettel against Alonso, but they're not in equal cars. If it was any other driver. I completely agree, but with Alonso, he's just always scoring points. You know, he might start from fifth on the grid, but he's, he's just, at the end of the race, he's on the podium. You know, how did he manage yeah, that? Yeah. Trouble is, you can't beat someone who wins a lot. If Vettel wins a lot... Yeah, I mean, if Vettel wins every race, and even finishing third is not going to be enough, I don't think. My math isn't great, so is we'll move on from that. But, you know, he's, Alonso is always there, bar, yeah. you know, Grosjean. So, take him if, uh, if Vettel was to do it, Hat trick of titles. How would we uh, how would we assess him? Do you well, think? Like it's it's just the way things fall into place, isn't it? You know, I mean, I was saying to someone the other day, if DRS had been introduced one race earlier than it was, last race of 2010 rather than first of 2011, you know, Vettel um, wouldn't have been world champion because Alonso would have got past Petrov without <laughs> even at that dump of a circuit. <laughs> this is, there's a lot of if my aunt was my uncle here, isn't there? <laughs> would have got past uh, Petrov, you know, without too much bother, and, and that would have settled the championship. So I think the trouble is with drivers nowadays, it, this is the shame that they don't do Le Mans saloon cars, because that's what gave us, to 
be able to judge Moss and Clark yeah. because we could see them in similar cars, you know, or in other forms mm. of motorsport. Because now all we really know now is that Alonso's better than Massa, Hamilton's faster than Button, yeah. Yeah. and Vettel's better than Weber. Yeah. This is true, you know, we can't it? really yeah. find out who's the best of those three unless we finally get two of them in the same team one day, which is highly unlikely. And also, wouldn't it be such great, you know, wouldn't it be great fun? Because, I mean, we remember, don't we, us older chaps um, watching all those races with Jimmy Clark in a Cortina. I mean, you go on and on, you name it. Um, it'd be wonderful to, to see that again. I mean, we're not going to, but you're so right, actually, because we don't know much. We're comp- we don't know, actually, who is the greatest. So we get the race of champions each year when you yeah. suddenly see Sebastian Loeb. Is he perhaps the greatest driver well, on the planet? You know, how do we compare <laughs> now? Because Loeb gets into I those I can things. remember Coverline and walking it, though, one year, Tiff. That's, that's true. There have been a, <laughs> there have been He's a, a good few, driver, yeah, but... Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but to answer the editor's question, I would be very disappointed if... Vettel took a third championship and I believe that Mr Ecclestone has gone on record as saying that he doesn't want Vettel to win a third championship and obviously he doesn't because it gets boring as far as television viewing is concerned well I mean it does and um, so I'd like to see Alonso win the world championship but actually I think and I'll shut up in a second I think Lewis Hamilton's going to win the world championship I feel you're right. I'd like to see the Ferraris wherever it loves Ferraris. Yeah. We want to encourage Ferraris, don't <laughs> yes, we? It'd be a painful pill to swallow for McLaren if they gave the number one to Mercedes next year, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would. I mean, it's, it's happened before. I mean, Prost took number mm. one to, from McLaren to Ferrari. Well, so inherited it off brought. They, in fact, they yeah. inherited off what is now Mercedes. So in a way, they're just giving it back. They got given one when, when they got button. So now it's, it's a bit of a swap, really, isn't it? If he does take number one the other Keep way. Wrong, that. Given the Ryder Cup comeback we saw over the weekend, I mean, you, you know, in sport, you can't, you can't rule anything out. Lewis isn't out of it by any means. No, so. he's not. No, he no. certainly is. And, yeah, yeah. and you can bet anything that McLaren will give him everything to win the championship. That's the thing about McLaren is there'll be no change in their attitude on, on, the, on the track in dealing with him. Might be a bit frosty in the motorhome this weekend, but um, in terms of the actual stuff on track, he'll get every, everything he needs. I think we ought to ask Tiffany Dell whether, what he feels about Michael Schumacher because you, I guess... Uh, actually, no, how can I put this politely? Um, there comes a time, Tiff, where in all drivers' careers where they really probably ought to stop. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether you feel that uh, that would be a good idea for Michael or not. No, I love Shuey. I wanted him to win one more race. I don't think he's quite obviously got the speed he had. He qualifies. It's amazing. His race is bad, isn't he? First 10 laps of a race nowadays. Sort of driving into people without Well, yes, that was weird. I, I must have been. Mercedes come out with any sort of um, possible read. I mean, it was, he, he wouldn't have made the corner, let alone, even, you know, even he would Mercedes have been in the host. Well, on the radio were saying, what? And what, what, was, what, was, what was that all about? What was that all about? <laughs> yeah. It could but be the, the eyesight. Is, I know eyesight goes well in the dark. The first right. time your eyesight goes, when you when you're get to <coughs> 40 plus, you know, is, is night driving. You suddenly notice, and it could be. And, and it's happened to him in Singapore before. Yeah, in the dark. It's exactly yeah. the same yeah. thing, yeah. There's yeah. no doubt your eyesight begins to go at 40. How old is he now? He's 44 in January. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it was an eyesight no. thing. I don't go out at night anymore, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I tell is you that what, you're doing a course, <laughs> is it, <there>, Ross? <laughs> Something about you that strikes me, actually, is um, as recently as Spa, um, my German 
friends in the in the press room are all saying, you know, no, 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 Michael's going to go on, you know. German people are saying German, that. German, yeah, okay, people, yeah, yeah. people who know him well are saying, no, no, he's not going to start. With server. But at the time, no, we were at the time, everybody was assuming he was going to stay with Mercedes. And I wonder if Michael had made up his mind, say, three months ago, yep, yeah, I'm going to go on. Uh, I wonder if the whole Lewis thing would ever have come up. Yeah, quite, kick Rosberg quite, out. Quite, Rosberg, quite, quite, quite seriously, a huge shock. Quite seriously, because um, mm. you know it would have been. It's, it's it's quite a difficult thing actually to boot Michael Schumacher out if you if you're Mercedes. You know, it's 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 not without risk. Mm. So the fact that he still hasn't made up his mind, uh, I guess that did they reach a point of thinking? Well, we've got to do something. You know, because supposing he decides in November he's not carrying on, then what? Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want him to go anywhere else. I mean, that's he has to retire now. Oh, right. He wouldn't be happy to see him at Sauber, was it? No, no, no. Because that's, that's, that's just... No, he, has, he has to be in a winning, potentially right. winning team. Or Sauber, you can't say it's not a winning, potentially winning team at a long chalk. But maybe win one of the last few races. I think Brazil suits Shuey. You know, nice, yeah. fast, high-speed, old Mercedes. Shuey to win at Brazil and then retire. I'd love to see him at Sauber, I have to say. Are you would, <laughs> yeah. but just in the midfield barging around with Kopashi. <laughs> well, that's what he's doing at the moment. His racecraft midfield's questionable, so yeah, it would be it would be entertaining. But um, his whole comeback has been tilting at windmills. You know, it's guy guy really up against it all the way through, really. Um, and I, I love the fact that he's still got the spirit in him that he just can't give it up. And the idea of him being in a Sauber and putting in the odd cameo performance, like like Perez has, where he's suddenly you know, been on the on the the right strategy at the right time, and has has been a you know a, a genuine front runner at times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This year. Schumacher. She was quite know. funny. I was in a bar in Nice when, when at Monaco and the qualifying, and I forget who was on pole just before Shuey. Someone, and the bar sort of, you know, a lot of people cheered. But when Shuey's at that time, the whole pub just didn't. Right. I couldn't believe the support he still has. Mm. I thought it was a bit 50 50. It's not yeah, anti yeah, Schumacher yeah. people. Yeah, in yeah. that bar, when the telly, when he did that lap time, yeah. everyone was no, just no, no, it's true. erupted. It's funny, short memories, isn't it? Do you remember when he was barging around with Damon Hill? That you'd never have had a bar erupt like that, and now I think, but now I think people see him as a sort of rather venerable uh, character of Grand Prix racing. <laughs> it's just a shame he keeps blotting his copybook. Yeah. But you're happy to see him go, Nigel. You haven't. You think he should go now? Well, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I can't. The point is, he's not going to be any better next year than he was this year, is he? That's that's the thing. He's you know 44 next year, and you sort of think. Well, why are you doing this? And I remember the three years, three years after he'd been pushed out by Ferrari, when he kept was still coming to the races, 
occasionally with mm. Ferrari mm. and talk about a lost soul. I mean, you've never, ever seen... I remember, I, I think we were in Barcelona or somewhere, and I watched him walk the entire length of the paddock, quite alone, and nobody went near him, not a mm. photographer, not, n nobody. Good shot, that. And he just seemed absolutely bored and lost. And I, I think, quite honestly, that's mo much more than for most racing drivers, that's going to be Shuey's big problem. I think mm. he, he fundamentally does not want to do anything but drive, drive mm. cars. But talk about lost causes. On the back row of the last ETM race, Coulthard and Schumacher, Ralph, qualified behind Susie Wolfe, on the back of the row. Oh. What are those two doing, embarrassing themselves in DTM? Making money? Well... I don't know. No, I agree. I think well, it's sad. Yeah, but actually. they've got enough money. Uh, like, I, whereas my case, I would be happy to be on the back row <laughs> earning another couple of grand. <laughs> no, no, but no. David I, doesn't need to be I, there, I, nor does Ralph. No, I, 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 I agree with you entirely. Uh, and you'd think it would, it, would, it would distress them, wouldn't you? You'd think they would. He must. I don't know. Has he signed up for another year, David? Or sure, um, hopefully not. I'm uh, not sure, I actually. Maybe not, but... On the other hand, you know, it's it's some people a they can't let go of racing completely, and they, I mean, I think Michael would if Michael goes from Formula One, I don't think we'll ever see him in anything else. Mm -hmm. But a lot of drivers do, like Lacey did, DTM and that sort of thing, hang and Mika even mm. hang around because they it's diff it's a difficult thing to let go of a, a just, whole whole just way what they of do, life. Isn't it? Yeah, uh, the shame is really uh, that sports car racing is not in a very good state because obviously there aren't many seats. No. to go do Le Mans and that sort no. of thing where, where Coulthard and Ralph would probably be very good at and there's only really the two teams and so there's not enough seats there so they, the only other thing is DTM I guess yeah yeah. well no. and also you know sports car racing probably doesn't pay the sort of money that would you know that would but they're not doing it for the money surely <laughs> those two I'll well, tell you what it's, it's no easy option these days if you do get a, a top drive in sports cars you get found out pretty quick if you're not up to it because yeah. you know, they're, they're running a proper Grand Prix pace these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and you see Davidson's accident, and it's it's not other something you're going to go into lightly, is it? Absolutely. It's not. interesting. Mm. Michael's always said, "Never, I'll never go to Le Mans. Forget it. Not mm. interested. Too dangerous." Because he can't see it. No, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to the Motorsport Magazine podcast uh, with our panel: Nigel Roebuck, Ed Foster, Damien Smith, and our special guest. Tiffany Dell and Tiff, um, we've got to ask you today, or I've got to ask you anyway. Um, Jake Humphrey is leaving the BBC Formula One programme to go to BT Vision. Um, a chance for you? Oh, I don't think so, Rob. No. I, I, I was knocking on the door for a long time, but uh, I think nowadays the front man is more of the in, independent from another sport, you know, BBC presenter. So I think it's very unlikely you'll have a, a motorsport face fronting the show. Unfortunately, you've still got Eddie, but there we go. <laughs> but again, David's great at that, but uh, it'll probably be, I think, more likely a, an in-house sort of BBC front person. Mm, okay. What's, what's the pressure of working in TV like compared to being a racing driver? It's a doddle. Yeah. Just stand up there and say what you think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, I enjoy television a lot because it is nice and it's quite yeah. relaxing. But I, mean, I think when I have to walk about, talk about testing cars and come up with clever storylines, I struggle mm. a bit for the script or come up with, I'll say, this car's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clark's will come up with some wonderful hyperbole or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm struggling a bit. My civil engineering didn't teach me very good English. <laughs> but <laughs> but they're fronting TV shows that I love doing that. I'm doing some powerboat racing at the moment, who's circuit racing for Sky, and um, I enjoy doing that sort of thing very much. Mm. Was it John Watson who, in this future motorsport article, was saying that 
he actually loves live TV because it gives the same sort of adrenaline and pressure as as racing used to give him. Is it John Watson? Yeah, it? that's yeah. right. He does say that. And yeah, when, when we go filming, I mean, a fifth gear item was only myself, cameraman, Sam, man, and a director. And it's like going for the race meetings. Your director's your team manager, and your cameraman's your mm. mechanic and the sound man. And you are a little team of four mm. going off into the hills with a, re- a track and getting a, a result in one day. It's like a one day job. Sure. So there is that buzz and adrenaline, and yeah, it does pump you up. Well, certainly live does, that's for sure. I don't, you, know, you've, you, you, you can't get it wrong because it's gone out. <laughs> I must say this year, I've, I've, I've thought about that with, with Jake and DC and, uh, and even EJ. Uh, are the races that Bieber's not actually transmitting live? I wonder, I mean, I know they, 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 I've spoken to them and they, and they say, well, they, they just behave as if it were going out loud, yes, live absolutely. and all the rest of it, which is obviously what you would have to do. But I wonder if it is quite the same. It's not, no, but I think the thing is you've got to because it's the only way you can keep oh, keep, the, make it keep sound, the excitement yeah, up, exactly. isn't it? And the and the sound uh, genuine, I suppose. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Okay, um, let's finish. Uh, let's finish uh, talking about Formula One with just a mention of the Williams team um, because Tiff, I think. A, a huge, I mean, a, blimey, if a cheer goes up for Schumacher in the bar, if, if Williams win another race, they'll be, I mean, yeah, the roof will blow off. But people love this team still, don't they? And yet, here's they've got this bloke who keeps crashing it. And he doesn't keep crashing. He, he does gets, keep he crashing. He gets bumped it. into other people occasionally. It's not all his fault, Pasta. I love Pasta. Ever since he thumped a marshal at Monaco, didn't he? <laughs> I thought that's the sort of racing driver we need. And he was disqualified. He was banned for a year. It wasn't even racing. Was that Formula 3000? Or was it G? GP2, way back, GP2, early GP2. Yeah. I'm a big Pasta fan, and obviously I'm a Williams fan. Anyone that takes a Williams to the chequered flag is my hero anyway, because Sir Frank is just the old-fashioned motorsport that's still going. He yeah. does it because he loves the sport, and, you know, I've met him a lot of times. Nearly, nearly did some test driving for him once, but, uh, and he, of course, he loaned me the, the car when I drove at Donington. Only, what, 2005, I drove a Williams BMW Grand Prix car around Donington with an item on fifth gear with me racing Vicky in a BMW M5. So, you know, only Williams would lend a 50-something-year-old yes. <laughs> journalist, you know, a Grand Prix car at my age. Yeah. You know, to drive around, that, I was like 178 miles an hour around the Rockingham Wall into the chicane. And it was a wonderful moment. And only Sir Frank would do that. And he actually foamed so This was a lovely story, actually, because um, it was the day after I did it, I was driving home, and my son phoned me up. And says a bloke called Frank Williams phoned Dad to talk to you, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, you know I think it was a drive going by that time or something. He said, "You're probably after a drive." No, no, don't be silly. So I was on the road. I thought well, I'll sort it out tomorrow when I get home. I was driving home that night, and the mobile went in the car, and it's it's Sir Frank Williams. And I'd, I just wanted to phone you to say what an outstanding piece of television that was last night. But it showed the difference. It was the first right. time I've seen. We had, a, we had a helicopter shot of the acceleration. Both me and Vicky were both doing 70 miles an hour for a rolling start. And we both just floored it. And so Frank just said, you know, just that visual image of the difference in speed of a Grand Prix car. And this was, he, so having left a message at home with my son, he still, instead of waiting for me to call back, Amazing. tracked down my mobile phone number and phoned me up to thank me for Fantastic. what a wonderful. So yeah, Pastor Maldonado. Hero. Right. <laughs> That's a good story. No, I, I, I'm a Maldonado fan. I mean, there are times when I think he maybe should be allotted his own personal steward. <laughs> but, and, and he does get involved in things. But, but Tiff's right. You know, it's by no means always his fault. Um, I mean, I thought the thing with Perez at Silverstone, for instance, I thought that, you know, I thought that was ridiculous. Yes, okay, I agree. I that agree. was just 
if ever there was a pure racing incident, you know, um, sure. that was it. And I thought Perez made an absolute meal of it. But well, that probably goes back to the incident at, uh, you know, at Monaco in, uh, in practice when... We're all huge Maldonado fans of hit him. Williams, aren't we? I mean, um, yeah. what I'd like to see very much is Valtteri Bottas in the car as a, as a race driver. That's what I want to see. Well, um, he will be. Surely that's virtually the ink job, isn't it? You, you, would, you would assume so. Yeah, so. But it's, it is a matter of... It isn't in the end. He's, he's not exactly minted, is he? He's not. No, that's but the I problem. But I thought right? his sponsors have got shares in Williams, I understand. Really? Silence. Oh, really? Yes, I thought they had. Some well, you may well be past right. the action. That's what I'd read somewhere. Fine. Yeah, well, well anyway, well, in that, in that I case. think it'll be very exciting. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Nigel, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how you think Perez will fit in a McLaren. Um, I think, I think, I think, I, I think he'll probably have to. Uh, there is a perception in the paddock that Perez is extremely talented, but perhaps not quite as good as he thinks he is. Uh, and, and in other words, not that he won't be in the end, but he certainly doesn't, you know. I think he'll fit in very well, because he's not an ego, is he? He's got a quiet, well, he, he, unassuming he, he, from what he, I've he, seen. He has sort of arrived almost like PK Jr. did, in the sense that uh, I don't really have to do anything, because it's all mapped out for me. You know, I'm going to go here, and then I'll, then I'll you know. Mm -hmm. And the, the perception had always been, of course, that eventually he would, he would you know, finish up in a Ferrari. So I'm, I'm, I find that aspect of it intriguing, actually, now, because um, Montezemolo said, no, 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 he's not ready yet for a Ferrari drive. Maybe, you know, that was what he genuinely felt. But I wonder if, if Ferrari are thinking... Hmm, Massa stays oh, again. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's... It, it is a matter. Is he? It, so much is predicated on what happens the year after, because the rumours still persist that in 2014, Vettel will be at Ferrari. So, to a degree, that's always been, you know, what's been talked about. Well, they're really only looking for what somebody just for one year. We'll put someone in for one year. Put a youngster well, in. Well, but of course, and they certainly did try to do a deal with Mark Webber. Hard. They, they really, they really. But that's going backwards. Really Ferrari that. puts pretty young but, but, Italian but, but, in. But, but just for one year, you see, it's it's it's. Yeah, and also the other problem they've got is it, Alonso loves Massa being his teammate. Well, yeah, yeah. of course, <laughs> like, but yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. Okay, it's true. I mean, I, 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 I mean, if if it were me, I would. If I were Ferrari, I would put Hulkenberg in it. Hulkenberg. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I forgot about that one. Yes. Good, the rest good spot. Well, I've, I've interviewed Joe Ramirez, uh, who is Mexican and who used to run the McLaren team. And without giving too much away, he, he, uh, he's very interesting about Perez, actually. And one thing he did say was that he felt that it would be a mistake for him to go to Ferrari because he felt that at where he is right now in his career, uh, to be number two, which he would be to Alonso, would be a mistake. And he's pleased that that did not happen. So uh, that's quite, you know, the, the, as Ed intimated just now, there, there is, does seem to be a feeling, even if it's not in the contract, that, that Alonso, you know, must win the race. Well, I mean, with Massa, it's a given, but... Well, it's not going to do Perez much harm if he follows Alonso around, no. is it, surely? Okay, no, even well, if he has I mean, to. I mean, he can out-qualify him and drop behind him. Everybody <coughs> knows you're number two. I've well, never seen... What is the harm of being well, number two to one of the greatest drivers? Because I think... <laughs> well, you think of Sterling following Fangio. It didn't, it didn't mm. ever bother me. No, exactly. Peterson following, you know, yeah, Mario, yeah, yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. This is a ridiculous right. concept that being a number two is a problem. I think his, his opinion 
opinion was that it that it, it it's not good for their confidence for their head if they're constantly being asked to you know give way or slow down or whatever it may be. If it's constantly, he's going to have a big contract from someone else if he's yeah. constantly yeah, being asked okay, to let yeah, Alonso no, pass. Yeah, yeah, it's not good for them. When they've been, been pampered all the way and uh, no, looked fine. after all the way. That's no, all. interesting. It's That's a good debate. Sure. Yeah. So you put is. Hulkenberg before De Resta then. As a choice of driver, I think I think it's, it's 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 six of one, isn't it? I, I mean, it is. You, it's almost impossible to draw any distinction between them, which is actually bad luck on both of them because, to some degree, they are quite difficult to rate because they, you know, are they both absolutely exceptional or are they both very good? Or it's a Rosberg situation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I think you know, I think they are both. Potentially. Both better than Rosberg. You think Hamilton, yeah. I believe, will blow Rosberg well, away. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, everybody thought Lewis would blow Button away when he first went yeah, there. Agree, so it doesn't, always work. it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, I, th I, I think Lewis will be quicker than, than Nico because I just, I think Lewis is quicker than anybody, full stop. Um, but, you know, that isn't the whole thing, is it? I mean, I thought, you know, Rent was quicker than Stuart, but I still thought Stuart was better than... Uh, more complete than uh, than rent. Yeah, um, and um, I and you know that's why if you talk to JYS, that's why JYS reckons will always put Prost ahead of Senna. He said, "Yeah, Senna was quicker, but Prost was flawed." Know. I'm not flawed. I mean, Senna was flawed. Senna yeah, Prost was, flawed, was complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm flawed. Well, if you'd like to join yeah. us in the pub, we'll be there for the next three days discussing <laughs> <laughs> discussing. Yeah, so do come along anytime you like. Um, I'm sorry to break that one up, guys, but we do have um, uh, readers' questions for Tiffany Dell, and if we don't ask you these questions, it's utterly pointless for the readers asking them. So, um, The first one, Tiff, comes from Niels Roberts, and he wants to know about what he calls your fantastic third place in the Alpha 962 at Le Mans in 1990, which was a, a big deal for you, obviously. Absolutely, it was the greatest achievement, really, that I did in motorsports. But, um, you know, that was a, the best thing about it. We were the only privateer in the top six. It was one of those Le Mans, one of the most competitive ever. We only beat him by the two works jaggers. We had the factory Porsche right behind mm. us, and then the factory Nissan, and then the factory Toyota. And we just come this little team from Japan. And uh, literally, Gary Cummings, who was a, an old uh, Kramer mechanic, I think, had, had rebuilt the car on his own in Japan for like a month. It was the first year of the chicanes, and I'd worked out that the length of the Fuji straight was the same length as the new three parts of the Mulsanne. And we bought the factory Porsche rear. They said it was a low downforce track still. But we tested the low downforce, or against our own high downforce. Then we got made our own little rear wing element, which we added. So we went there with our own little plan to run our wing up in the air for the new chicanes, and uh, didn't qualify well because we didn't have the qualifying engines, or we couldn't run the boost or anything. So we qualified twentieth, and sort of, and then we just just battled, and we had this plan of sort of just doing single stints. We didn't have a trainer, we didn't have any dietitians. <laughs> so me and Reed had said we'd like to. Derek Bell was my co-driver in Japan. We'd lost him to the factory team, and of course he was the one that finished one behind me. And we just started single stinting, driving flat out, because by now Le Mans was already a sprint, you know, back then. And uh, we thought we'd double stint in the night, but it just seemed to be going so well. And we, the whole theory was if you double stint, you get very tired, and then it takes a long time to recover. But we could go the 50 minutes and be only half tired and never feel too knackered. 
And even through the night, we just sit and we single stinted the entire race. <laughs> Remind us who Always you were nowadays. driving Anthony with. Reed and David Sears. Mm. Anthony had come in as the third driver in Japan because I got him in. I kept on getting young British drivers like myself into drives, like James Weaver I got a drive in Japan, you know, and so I've got Anthony Reed a drive. And, and then I got David Sears was out of a job, so we got him in as the British third British driver. And it was just a fantastic, nothing went wrong with the car. We had a yeah. cracked windscreen and that was it and uh, just did the whole thing flat out, didn't even take the top off, didn't put any oil in. And that was down to Gary Cummings virtually building the whole car. So he did some modifications as well. There were some bits that the factory team had problems with that we didn't because Gary had seen it and modified it. So it was just a tiny little team, little Japanese mechanics running around, not speaking any English at all, with Gary shouting at them when he's big American, get the car out of the pits! And, and it was just, there was a French pit signals down at the, the, the last year, I think almost, of the great Mulsanne pits. Because when Brun broke down, I mean, it was so sorry for them, really, but well, I wasn't sorry at all, actually, no, it wasn't, why'd I say that? And I remember coming round them all, so I'd look at my pit wall, and they were all flapping, and I didn't know what the pro I was the only person in the world that didn't see poor old Siggy's car parked up, so I didn't even know that we got up to third, we got about three laps to go after 23 hours and 45 minutes. So it was, yeah, it was just a, a dream come true, and just a fantastic little team takes on the works and almost wins. And both the Jaguars had quite major problems. One crashed, I think, in the early hours, and one had some uh, leaking water. So they, they weren't trouble-free, the two that Peters. And you're, you're, the car didn't use any oil, is that, are you serious? Yeah, no oil. It's amazing, just, is it? Just drove it flat out, the three of us. Fantastic. It was a great achievement. That's a good question. Thank you, Niels. And a good answer, of course, naturally. Um, this one comes from Ben Dunnell. And uh, I hope that's right, Ben. Dunnell? Dunnell? Anyway, yeah. How close did you get, Tiff, to the Audi uh, seat that went to John Binkliffe in, in 96? It was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what went right. This was actually a weird thing. I always thought being on Top Gear and being the television star would help me get drives. But because, and I actually did this on purpose when I drove that very first Formula First, having seen, you know, drivers on telly, the, the public sitting there, oh, that look easy, just turn the corner, out the corner, down the straight, I can do that. So literally on that first time, I deliberately started sliding it sideways on the opposite lock, which is now my little trademark, I guess, because I thought it would make it look exciting. Yep. And of course, the more I did that in racing cars on television, the more team managers thought, well, he's driving, you know, that's not the way to drive fast. And I think in a way it almost backfired that now as a television presenter, tarting about on telly, mm. therefore I wouldn't be a serious team mm. member. Of course, Audi is very much the mm. German team and serious mm. and you're a, a works driver. Sure. And I think that was Audi UK was sort of putting forward my name. Um, I only saw Dr. That was one of those awful me on my own speaking to somebody. Poor. I was down in South Africa where they had that touring car where the British drivers went down. And mm. I, had an, I had an awful car and I was qualified down the back. A year before I was on the front, this time I was down the back. And during this bad weekend I was having as a driver, I finally you know, said to Dr. Ulrich, and hello, but I got a very, hello, oh, that was it, you know. That was one of those interesting, I didn't think that worked well. <laughs> That's what I needed, a journalist or a team management company saying, Doctor, this is a hot shot boy, and he's on telly, and he can drive, and yes, he looks like he's driving, and he is on television, but he can drive a car. And I, well, yeah, that would have been a lovely drive to have had. Yeah, and um, yeah, I thought I was close, I thought I was. And then the Ford, exactly the same thing, the Mondeo drive. I was quickest when they tested all the drivers for that, but all of a sudden, I think there was some dealing going on, and uh, I didn't get that one either. Never mind. Oh, but I, got, I mean, you, it, it did become your trademark, and I do understand absolutely that that could have could have been some kind of problem. But actually, 
nowadays when you, you you race at the revival so does anthony reed and you both put on a fantastic show and of course you know there's a place for that yes well the, the old cars had to be driven that way they, okay. they went sideways anyway so uh, i guess the style that i put on telly would have suited the olden days in fact my whole racing career almost yeah. tripped up when they stopped cross-ply tires because yeah. driving styles did change dramatically because in 78, when I was a star in a, at Hockenheim in a Formula 2 car in a March BMW with cross plies that suited my style amazingly, I then tested the Tolman on the very first Pirelli radials at Mugello, which I'd never been around before, which is the most wonderful track. Yeah. And I was useless, and I couldn't get used to this weird, you couldn't put any slip angle on radials. So, you know, 10, de 10 degrees sideways and you spun. So it was a shock to me. It didn't suit my driving style at all, radial tyres. And that's very much since then, you know, understeering cars have been the way to go. When you added the ground effect to radial tyres, that multiplied the problem. Because now you're on rails, yeah. you know, slip anger wasn't yeah. to be tolerated at all. You know, the early days of those Mercedes uh, Group C cars, people were spinning up the road like tops on the radial tyres. Actually, I think... Because could, you couldn't, so, you know... I like the old-fashioned way. We'd said on cross plies, oh, I could have been, I could have been a star. <laughs> that's a, but that surely is the quote of the day, isn't it? On cross plies, I could have been. Yeah, yeah. No, but seriously, I think this is the most interesting point, which is unfortunately right at the end of the, of the show, because it, it, it does, in my view, throw some light on all the stuff we've been hearing in very recent Formula One about I can't drive on these tyres. I mean, you know, that's quite interesting to me that, that you hear, you've heard drivers say over the past couple of seasons, it's the tyres, I can't... Well, you know, Villeneuve always said if you, if, if you lose time by going sideways, there is something wrong with motor racing. <laughs> I, I, well, I couldn't agree <laughs> and, I, and I agree with that entirely. There's a, there's a wonderful picture of, uh, of Chris Amon at Alton Park, at, the, at Old Hall, in fact, in the Ferrari in 68, in the most glorious... My favourite photo uh, ever, you know, yeah. You know, yeah, really, yeah. But, you know, and I, I remember talking to Chris about that, and he said, yeah, but, you know, it wouldn't be possible to do that now. Yeah. And you make just the That's point you did, it's cross plies. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying, and I think it may, it may have been the may have been the um, the <laughs> a problem for you in your career, but I think it was a, I think it was a problem for the whole sport. I mean, I, I do find now, and I know a lot of people feel the same as I do, is that it, the spectacle. Yes, it's exciting, the Hamilton, Willie win, etc., Vettel, but the spectacle is not what it was because well, the cars look too easy. It, it's interesting in now, isn't it, that the um, you know if somebody gets even a a couple of inches out of line coming out of a chicane or something yeah. the, the, the commentary team is sort of whoa you know yeah. wow you know what a crossed huge up moment. there wow yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know and at one time it, you know it was like that and in fact we're talking about Eamon in the Ferrari you know I, you could watch that all day it didn't Absolutely. matter they weren't overtaking constantly it didn't matter because you could just watch that I always remember going to my it. house in South Africa in Johannesburg Graham Duxbury's dad and he had an old Cine film and he went to the test day you know at the mid 70s at Lurkop the famous this crested yeah. corner onto the straight which just, it was a corner that just promote, promoted oversteer and he just sat there filming a Stuart and it was the sort of early I think it was in the early Tyrrell about the first Tyrrell that year whatever that was and you could just watch this film because they were all coming through Lurkop and he's one wonderful balanced yeah, no, power slides. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now one car going through a corner doesn't do anything for you. Mm -hmm. 
I used to love them watching coming out. Coming we out. mustn't talk like old farts. I'm no, representing. No, it's not just Ed that's representing. Ed, can we have Ed uh, as you represent? <laughs> what did you say? As you represent the youth of today, Ed, what do you think about this? Well, I'd be interested to hear when you know talking about all this. How did you get on with the Williams Cyber with the Williams BMW? When you drove that at Rocky, well, I hung on to that. I wasn't yeah. really. I wasn't driving it. I think it was sort of driving me. Actually, the one thing I never told Williams was I'd never driven a racing car with left foot braking in my life. And I slid down to the cockpit, found these two big buckets, one for each foot, and suddenly realised I'm oh, bloody. I've forgotten. I've got to. I've got to brake with my left foot. And the one thing, of course, everybody, all the former GP2 drivers said, as soon as they drive a Grand Prix, I can't believe the braking. So I went out rocking and thinking I was going to have this fantastic braking down to the hairpin, press the brake with the left foot. And hardly anything happened. I kept overshooting, out braking. And once when I really brake too late, because you're accelerating so fast. That's the point about a Formula One car. You don't reach a top speed and then peak out so you can look at your braking mm. master boards coming up. You're always accelerating. Mm. And once I just sort of missed the point I was thought I'd brake at, so I panicked with my left foot and actually pressed properly for the first time after three years. And the thing just stopped with that <laughs> 4G. And I suddenly realised that my whole left leg, of course, they only ever pressed clutch pedals. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd never pressed the left foot down hard. Yeah. So now I know well they have to be pretty fit with their left legs because they do need to put a lot of weight on them. But um, yeah, that was impressive. But no, I, they had a couple of little twitches and slides, you know, because you know they still come alive at lower speeds. But of course, you've got to kill the slide immediately. You've got to an instantly stop any movement. You can't let it go and hold it there. Meanwhile, so going back what, to your opinion, though, on you know. Meanwhile, what does Ed Foster think? Meanwhile, what does Ed Foster think about? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, sliding is is the you know is what you want to see. That's why revival is so great, and the uh, the Samaris Trophy race is just brilliant when you get proper drivers in these old cars, and you see them, you know, minis in a four wheel drift, and you know the first corner at Goodwood, I stood down there last year, and watched the minis go through there, and every time one came in, you think it's going to crash. Leiden, it's going to crash. Leiden, and it was, you know, I watched it just solidly. It was brilliant. I loved yeah. it. So yeah. more Malzanado, more Grosjean. They're going to crash. <laughs> yeah. That's all we need. Shall we leave it there? No, you think they're going to crash, and they usually do, though. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yes, the difference. Actually, Tiff, before, before, we, before we end, did, did you ever see Jimmy in a, in a Los Cortina? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah clean to railings. I've got my own little box camera photos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could watch it all day, couldn't you? Yeah, I wheel could, up in the air, yeah, yeah, smile on his face. And uh, you'd be stand, standing at the sort of exit of Clearways, or sort of halfway through Clearways, and he'd be setting it up for the corner, coming under the bridge, mm. you know. Mm. <laughs> it was just... It was just Glorious. And you were close. That's the only thing about spectating. You're you're a car park away. You don't get that feel. You're Crystal Palace. I was on the fence. You're looking into Ronnie Peterson's cockpit Mm. in a Formula 3 car. And that that passion of being close to the noise, the wind, you know, you can see things. That's the the thing that's changed for me is the circuits more than. uh, I think modern cars can still be spectacular if you get the right corner to watch them at. But there are fewer good corners where you can get close. Mm. And the thing about Goodwood. Uh, that always reminds me every year is you're watching cars without any catch fencing between you and the cars, which these days feels really odd because well, like, yeah, you're there's nowhere else you get you You're get watching it as it was mm. when you were watching it. Or we well, I I'm, I'm, must say I'm looking forward to, uh, to Austin because Anthony Davidson has, has done the Mercedes simulator, Austin, he says it is unbelievable he said it's it's trust me he said the whole formula one world is going to say this is a new circuit like we haven't seen for years and years but my only concern is again the tilka thing <laughs> from turns like three four five six seven eight which a driver will love because it's all very high speed 
but the guy behind will drop a second away because you've got lots of consecutive high-speed corners. Then when you get to the straight with the DRS, he's going to be too far behind yeah. to overtake. What was the last new circuit? Again, they loved China, no... Uh, India, India No, Turkey, no, the Turkey, most recent... Turkey, they quite India. Like. Yeah. They like In the Indian one, hasn't that got an incredible high speed mm. down towards... There's a big loopy corner at the top and then a fantastic mm. section which all the drivers loved. By the time they got to start finish straight, the guy behind was always a second I behind know. because he can't follow in the dirty air. We've got too many corners. Well, apparently the, at, at Austin, apparently the, the corner that's going to make the track is turn one, which is, which is fairly tight but very, very wide, um, and the, the sort of the belief is there will be any number of, do, of lines I would say the only way is, isn't it China with a stop hairpin at the end of the straight? The only way to get proper overtaking, with a very tight hairpin, yeah. where they can go, they go up the inside yeah. and they cut back up the yeah, inside so again. They've got one in Malaysia as well. But do you remember the fantastic anyway. racing they always used to have at Cleveland, the in, when yeah. they had an IndyCar race at yeah. Cleveland? Yeah. That was an airport circuit, yeah. being, but extremely wide, yeah. and there were... Yeah, different lines. Countless yeah. different yeah. lines, yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys, but we're going to have to um, pretty much wrap it up now. But, and we've got a question from Jeff Hall. Otherwise, we're going to leave Jeff Hall out, which seems a bit naff. Um, and very quickly, Tiff, Jeff is suggesting that you dislike Lewis Hamilton because you never say that he's had a great drive. What, on my tweets is this, probably? Oh, I, I, Wherever. I don't well, I, don't, I, always, I always expect Hamilton to be brilliant. So he's not brilliant. He doesn't get a. I know what I mean. It's sort of expectations you have each driver. So if someone like Maldonado wins, it's sort of exciting because you hadn't expected it. But Lewis, yeah, he, he doesn't. You're right. Somehow he doesn't inspire me, and I don't know why he doesn't inspire me. And I can't put my finger on it, even though I agree he's the quickest driver on the grid. Yes, he doesn't. Um, he's not. Incredibly lovable right now, is he, Lewis? I, I mean, think the fact he was so manufactured, you know, watching through all the formula he came up, you know, uh, with the McLaren money, paying for two years of Formula Renault, two years of Formula 3, two years of GP2, uh, season testing Formula 1 cars. And you sort of, you knew it was coming all the time. Therefore, when he does brilliance, you sort of, <laughs> yeah, well, we knew that was going to happen. Ah, oh, you just can't win, eh? <laughs> anyway, Roe, well, thank you very much, Tiff. My pleasure. Thanks Thank for inviting you. me. Thank you. It was good fun. But, uh, and I hope you've all enjoyed it out there and uh, even the old farts reminiscing club, which took over for a while. But, hey, you know, it is Motorsport Magazine. And, I mean, that's what Motorsport Magazine is partly about, of course, is uh, enjoying the past and uh, appreciating the past and learning from it uh, looking forward as well. So that's all good. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. We'll be back, uh, won't we, Ed? We'll be back with another podcast, um, probably either at the end of this month or the beginning of the next one. Well, there's a special coming up with uh, John Surtees because we've got our readers evening. Yeah. As we speak now, it's tomorrow evening, um, so that'll be coming up shortly. Um, we're recording that one. That's Nigel and I uh, talking to John um, in, a, in company with our readers, um, yeah. a selection of, which we were looking forward to very much as well. Okay, well, don't forget the Jackie Stewart evening on the 5th of December in London. Go to our website, uh, motorsportmagazine.com. That's a special night out with Jackie Stewart. Um, And uh, the tickets are cheaper if you're a subscriber, which is good. Um, Anyway, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Damien, Ed, Nigel, and uh, Tiff for coming all the way up to talk to us today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. (laughs) 